Um, Our Bible reading this evening comes from John chapter 13, uh, verse 1 to 11. uh, Page 1081 in the Church Bibles. Thanks, Ken. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 11. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Amen. Um, Comedy filmmakers over the years have had a field day with situations in which... um, Social customs or taboos are broken. One of the early ones you may be able to remember was Tarzan, of course, the man from the jungle who came into the big city and uh, had many surprises along the way. I guess a more modern-day version of that was Crocodile Dundee a few years back. And then maybe a slightly different way, we had um, Pretty Woman, if you saw that one, um, a woman from uh, a lower class, uh, a prostitute coming into high society and breaking all the... Uh, taboos uh, along the way. Of course, you yourselves may have made a few social uh, faux pas at different times. Um, We're all guilty of it. Even uh, the First Lady of the US did that uh, last year. And you recall the uh, the visit to the UK when they came over and uh, met the Queen and uh, probably hadn't been uh, told exactly what the royal protocol was. But um, as we see from a picture coming up, uh, Mrs. Obama made the mistake of putting her arm around the Queen, which she just never do. I think she uh, got away with it, though. But our passage this evening, we see Jesus here break with the social customs of his day and leave the disciples quite astonished, quite bewildered as they try and understand what is going on here, what is the significance of what he is doing. I just want to understand the, just how radical this act was of, of foot washing. It may help to give a little background information to the uh, the social customs of that time. Because what would be the normal thing is you'd go to somebody's house, you'd be invited, and uh, whereas in this country we may, first thing we may do would be to take off their, their, their coats and jackets for them and hang them up. Um, in that culture, in that place, at that time, it would be um, to get their slaves to, uh, to wash their feet. After all, the, uh, the roads would have been pretty dusty, no tarmac in those days, probably would have worn sandals, and so that was the first thing that would have been done. And it was only, of course, those of a certain social status who would have performed this very humble task. So the situation that the disciples find themselves in here in John, um, appears they were in somebody's home, and so there wasn't a slave to do this this for them. 
Um, they're probably all reclined in maybe similar to the picture we have here, um, facing inwards to a table in the middle, probably with their feet outwards. Um, and so it would have been the natural thing to have gone round and washed the feet. But there's no slave to do it. Um, none of them is willing to wash the feet of another. None of them sort of lower themselves to do that. And so it's Jesus who gets up, takes off his, uh, his outer garment, it says, wraps a towel around his waist and um, proceeds to wash and dry the disciples' feet. To make a modern day comparison, it would be something like a, seeing David Cameron at uh, Marathon Station asking you to sit in a nice comfortable chair while he polishes your shoes for you. Well, the disciples are all pretty, pretty embarrassed at this, but of course it's Peter, as usual, who's the one who um, says what he's thinking, which we'll come on to in a, in a minute. But um, the big question is, why did Jesus do this? Was it just to encourage his disciples to be more servant-hearted, to be more humble? Well, actually, it was far more meaningful than that, because the key point from this, this episode is that the foot, foot washing was a symbolic act that pointed to Jesus' greatest act of love, and that, of course, was the cross, the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And it was like acting out a parable in many ways, the same way that we might sometimes use drama to illustrate a point in church. Um, Jesus was using this act to demonstrate what he was about to do. But I'd like to, I mean, you may not be convinced by that yet, so I'd just like to look at the passage and see where we can see that it's pointing to the cross. Well, why do we think that this act of foot washing is more significant than just uh, the plain making clean of somebody's smelly feet? Well, the first point is that uh, verse 1, it says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew that the time had come. And when we read John's Gospel, we see throughout this this expression that keeps recurring, the time has come. The time, or literally his hour. Uh, If you remember last term, we did a series of the beginning chapters of John, and we looked at the uh, turning of um, water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And there Jesus was asked by his mother to to do this, uh, to help out with the the problem they had. And Jesus said to his mother, if you remember, my time has not come. My time has not come. And yet he went on to ask the servants to fill the, if you remember, the purification jars, the big jars of water, um, and still performed a miracle or a sign of what he was to do later and purify people through, uh, through his act on the cross. Later on in chapter 7 of John, um, Jesus uh, tells people how he was sent by the Father and we're told that the Jews tried to seize him and kill him. But it, goes, it says there, no one laid a hand on him. In other words, God didn't allow that to happen because his time had not yet come. Everything is pointing towards his time, his hour. And if you look at the previous chapter, chapter 12, um, here we're coming now to the climax of his ministry. And there, if you look over the page at verse 23, it says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And in this uh, chapter 13 here, John spells out what that will mean at the beginning here when he says, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. It was the Father who sent the Son, the Son who had willingly gone. And so later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says that in that uh, heart-wrenching passage, he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. 
it was for this very reason I came to this hour. The hour is that of his death, the climax of his mission. And in the episode we're looking at this evening, he's preparing his disciples for that very moment. So Jesus knew the time had come. Secondly, it says in verse 1, carrying on, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And here we see a first of all distinction made between the world and Jesus' own who were in the world. Now we know that Jesus, uh, God, loved the world. After all that well-known verse from John 3.16, which um, appears on my Facebook page, is my favourite quote. Hopefully it's on yours too. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves the world. But that love for the world is different from the love that he has for his own, for his people, the ones he's called out of the world. And up to this point, Jesus had been showing love to the whole world. He'd been performing many miracles, he'd been healing, he'd been teaching. And uh, that was to enable people to, to come out of the world and to follow him, to accept him as their Lord and Saviour. But now at this point, having done that, that ministry, he's focusing on his disciples. And these uh, next few weeks, we'll be looking at uh, some of these passages from John 13 and 14, as he's together with his disciples in these last hours, and he's showing them the full extent of his love. Now, loving and servant-hearted as foot-washing may be, clearly that act itself is not going to show the full extent of his love. Which is why this, this act must be a, a type of um, practical parable, as it's been described by some people. An, an illustration of a much greater act. And a couple of later, uh, chapters later in John 15, Jesus points to that when he says... Um, Greater love has no one than this. This is the greatest act, in other words, that somebody can do in terms of love, that he lay down his life for his friends. The greatest act of love, the full extent of his love, was when Jesus gave his life on the cross. And later in John's uh, first epistle, he uh, spells out again what the love of God looks like when he says in 1 John 4, 9, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this sacrificial act of foot washing is pointing to a much greater sacrifice in which Jesus will give up his life for his disciples. So the third thing um, is that Jesus knew Verse 3, that the Father had put all things under his power. And as it uh, carries on in that verse, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and proceeded to wash their feet. Now sometimes we, uh, we will, and about you guys who've got children, we'll watch a film or a TV programme with our children. And um, one they've seen loads of times before, quite often it's uh, probably a repeat of uh, Top Gear on Dave or it's uh, maybe the Simpsons, which seem to be repeating continuously. And they can tell you not just what's going to happen, but they can tell you exactly what the person's going to say next. And it's a bit like that here with Jesus and his disciples. He knows exactly what is going to happen. Not because he's seen it before, but because he's God. But his disciples, particularly Peter here, are struggling to keep up and work out what is going on here. 
know, Jesus will always have been through his three years of ministry full of surprises to them. But now things are really getting a bit strange. And in the same way that God, through the course of, of the Bible, as he reveals himself through the history of salvation, he does that bit by bit, gradually over time, here in this passage, Jesus is revealing bit by bit things to the disciples. And so when Peter here says, um, pretty appalled by what, is, what Jesus is doing, says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Says Jesus replies, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You know, later when I come to you after my resurrection, later when the, the Holy Spirit is uh, sent to be your teacher, you will understand. But for now, he just says to Peter what he needs to hear. And that is an important verse there in verse 8. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now you may say, well, well how does this statement point to the cross? Well, clearly, clearly Jesus is not saying here, look, unless you just shut up and let me wash you, you're out of here. I'm the boss here, I decide what's going on. You know, how dare you question my decision? You know, it's not like that at all, is it? And this is where the symbolism of washing is so important. And where we need to have an understanding of what the Bible says about washing, being made clean, how that's used elsewhere in the Bible. And I'd just like to turn back to, if you would come with me, to um, a, a book which I'm, I'm sure you read frequently. That's Leviticus. Nice, uh, easy read. But actually very good and useful book too, Reese. Uh, seriously. Leviticus chapter 16. Um, page 119 of the Church Bibles. And here we have a description of how Aaron goes in. This is the Day of Atonement. Instructions about the Day of Atonement when the sins of Israel are dealt with. And describes how Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place of the tabernacle. How he sprinkles blood on the atonement cover. He places his hands on the scapegoat. And then he says, look at verse 24 here. It says, he shall bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments. And in verse 26, the man who releases the goat, the goat is a scapegoat, must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Or verse 28, the man who burns the, the, the bull and the goat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Then finally the summary comes in, in verse 29 where he says, so this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. Now, this passage demonstrates just how serious sin is, how it needs to be dealt with, how we need to be cleansed from it. We can't just ignore it. Uh, but as we go into the New Testament, there are many more examples of the symbolic washing clean of sins, not least in the practice of baptism, of course, which we do here uh, as a church. Now, the thing is that these are all symbolic of the, the act itself that made it possible for us to be cleansed from our sin. And of course, that was the death of Jesus on the cross. The Old Testament sacrifices all pointed towards that perfect sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, that will be shed, where his blood will be shed for us. 
So if this act of foot washing then, going back to John, is, is pointing to the cross, and hopefully these, the, these verses here have, have convinced you that that is the case. This is more than just a, a washing of feet. If it is pointing to the cross, then we have to ask ourselves, well, so what? How do we apply that to ourselves today? What are the implications of that? Well, I'd just like to draw three brief implications for you. First of those is that Jesus' love for us is hugely costly and personal. What Peter's shock at Jesus' act of humility exposes here, in many ways, is that he hasn't fully appreciated just how much Jesus had already given up to come from his heavenly throne to come to this earthly footstool. And sometimes I don't think we fully grasp that. That's the reason why I showed that video again earlier on. How the creator of the whole universe should choose, as it said there, to, to intersect with us, to enter our time, our space. And out of all the billions of stars he's created, to come to the one in which he placed us, to take the form of man. Now that is an incredible act of humility. And once we grasp the full significance of that, then we will be truly humbled by his grace. He didn't need to wash their feet, but nor did he need to come into our world, nor did he need to die at the hands of those who he had made, the hands of those who rejected him. It was a huge cost that he was prepared to, to pay, and it's hugely personal as well. This is a very intimate moment we're seeing here, we're witnessing between Jesus and his disciples. You know, he was prepared to wash each one of his disciples' feet. Even Judas, knowing fully well that Judas was about to betray him. There's a sense of belonging conveyed here in, in this passage. He describes his disciples as his own. These are those who are special to him. And he recognises almost a different level of, of love. He's, in the same way that I love each one of you here this evening, you know, as, as those who are part of, our, of the church family, those I'm called to, to pastor, but again, it's a different love from the love I would have for my wife and my children. And this love Jesus is showing his disciples is a very personal, a deep love. And it's the same love that he has for each one of us, if we are his. His death was sufficient for all mankind, but there is a, a need for each one of us to respond personally to that act of love. For us to claim that for ourselves and to have that personal relationship with him. Jesus said to Peter, he said, unless I wash you, singular, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And the same would apply to each of his disciples, the same would apply to each of us here this evening. Unless we're prepared to be washed by Jesus, we have no part with him. And of course, one of the disciples, sadly, Judas, did not trust in the forgiveness that Jesus could give him and went out and betrayed him. Each one of us is responsible for our own acts but it means that the relationship that we can have with Jesus is uniquely personal. Well, that brings me on to the next point, which is that we cannot serve Jesus until we first allow him to serve us. As is often the case with Peter, I have a lot of sympathy with him. He's always the one who uh, expresses what the others are thinking. They probably don't have the courage to, uh, to say so. He's the one who would be sitting in the classroom and... Uh, listening to the teacher and everybody's sitting there thinking, what, are this guy, what is this guy going on about? Um, but he'll be the one who puts his hand up and says, sorry sir, but you know, uh, you completely lost me. What are you doing? What, are you, what is this all about? 
And it's easy for us to sit here knowing what we do about Jesus' death, about his resurrection, and to look down on Peter. But there's still something of Peter's attitude in each one of us, I think. You know, if you look at what is wrong with Peter's attitude, what is it exactly? Because you could say, well, he recognised the lordship of Jesus. He re- this was his master. You know, he didn't want to see his master washing his feet. That was beneath his master. He shouldn't be doing that. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, you shall never wash my feet. It's a bit like the incident when Jesus tells his disciples how he must suffer and, and die. And Peter says to him, never, Lord. You're the Messiah. You're not going to die. In one sense, it displays a reverence for him, which is, is great and very proper, a desire to protect him. He's a bit like a faithful bodyguard to to his master, a bit like um, Clint Eastwood in the film In the Line of Fire, or Kevin Costner in The, the Bodyguard, devoted to their, their bosses, prepared to, to jump in the way and, uh, and take the bullet if necessary. But the problem with this attitude, where it falls short, is it displays an ignorance of Peter's own need for Jesus. As though he has actually, in some ways, more to offer Jesus than Jesus has to offer him. Without him, maybe Jesus is going to be in danger. He's going to be, you know, he's not going to be able to remain safe. But Jesus' response is firm. He shows Peter just how much his need is. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless we confess our sins, unless we acknowledge our need for Jesus, we can have no part with him. And that is what holds so many people back from becoming Christians. They don't see their need for Jesus. They don't see their need for forgiveness. And that is why we need to pray for, for their eyes to be opened. And if that's you this evening, I do pray that Jesus would open your eyes to see your need for him. Of course, Peter doesn't want to miss out, though, and uh, be excluded from the group. And so, uh, almost jokingly, he says here, well, why don't you wash all of me then, you know, while you're at it, if you're going to wash my feet? Which gives Jesus an opportunity to teach him a further lesson which is the final application. And that is that we have an ongoing need for, for cleansing, for forgiveness. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. If we trust that Jesus died for us, then we are truly forgiven. All of our sins, past, present and future, they're all washed away. Now, that is great news, isn't it? Hallelujah. But what Jesus appears to be saying here is that whilst you may be made clean, there is still a need for ongoing cleansing. In other words, whilst we will no longer receive the just punishment for our sins on the day of judgment, we are still under the grip of sin in this world before we go to be with Jesus. And we can't get rid of our our sinful thoughts, our, our acts, until we are with Christ. It's like when you um, redecorate your house and you, you, go, you start to do one room at a time. You repaint the first room. And once you've done that room, you look at the, the one next to it and you think, oh, crikey, I didn't realise that was quite so bad as it is. It's really shown it up. And that's sometimes like our lives. When we've seen the sin in our... When we've been cleansed, we see the remaining sin in our lives. We need, know it needs to be dealt with. And as forgiven sinners, we hopefully will be more aware of those parts of our lives that are still dirty, that but um, still need to be worked at, where we need the Lord's power to help us um, 
to, to, to do something about it. So we need to continue to repent about these things. We continue need to, to seek his strength um, to live lives more pleasing to him. Well, as we come to the end, I do hope this evening that um, the full significance of this act of foot washing um, has not been lost. It was done by someone who had already humbled himself by coming into our world and somebody was about to perform the most humble and loving act he could to lay down his life for his friends. And the question is, do we want to enjoy the consequences of that act of sacrifice for ourselves? Because if so, we need to give up our pride and the feeling that we are maybe doing God a favour, feeling that we don't need God. We need to say, in the words of the hymn we're going to sing to close in a minute, the hymn Rock of Ages, Wash me, Saviour, or I die. If we have already done that, then we need to keep coming back as we continually fail and say, thank you that you have forgiven me. Sorry that I've fallen short of your holiness again. Please forgive me. Help me to live a life more worthy of you.